again happy that you guys are here today, and uh, we're just going to turn it over to Brother Brother Munoz, and uh, he's going to lead us in, in your word. Appreciate. Buenos dias. Oh man, there's a lot more people, a lot more beautiful places. I knew I was coming to a beautiful place, but, you know, sometimes you go to a beautiful place and people is not so beautiful, but you are. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you, to have you here, and uh, I am honored by this invitation. I don't take it for granted, and uh, um, I love when I see uh, families together. I love it, when, and, and that's my experience right now in the church. I've been having the privilege to lead and pastor uh, Iglesia Bautista Latina. You said it right, brother. You can go to Honduras with me anytime. <laughs> You're ready for that. It's more than bueno, actually. <laughs> so that, yeah, more than bueno. And before I uh, introduce uh, my whole family, and that will be via picture because they, they are not with me right now. I used to put them in the car seats and then where are we going that day? We're going to so-and-so Baptist Church or any other place, you know, that we will go to share God's word and, and, uh, or the music, you know, and they will be singing along with me, you know, we are pirates, we don't do anything. I mean, all the vegetables repertoire and all that uh, was, was sang in the band, but that's no longer the case. In fact, uh, as we're together here, you know, my oldest son, Antonio, um, uh, you, you'll see the a beautiful picture there because of them, not because of me, but that, that's my gang there. Um, Antonio is uh, a worship and, and youth associate pastor at New Hope Church. Uh, that is one of the biggest churches in Neffingham County. And uh, they have satellite churches in Newton and Shelbyville where he's uh, standing uh, as we speak. And uh, he baptized 11 uh, youth last Sunday. And he's doing just, I mean, God is doing a phenomenal job through his life. They just launched last Easter, you know, and he had a group of uh, probably 11 kids or somewhere in there, and now they have uh, 57, and it's growing, and today, is it today? The, the, today they're starting the two services already. It's, it's, it's booming, it's growing, and then uh, the girl in the middle there, why is that picture there? I mean, that, that's good. I mean, that's that's Matthew West there with them singing. Uh, Isabella there, the middle one, uh, just graduated as well. Both of them uh, studied at Cityville University, and Antonio did a worship arts degree with uh, um, music education uh, minor. And, and my daughter did uh, theater, did the theater program, and just graduated in, in May as well. And we, she's in that transition, you know, uh, praying to God for where... Uh, does he want to use her, you know, in a mighty way? And then my youngest, Emilia, the one with the bangs there, you know, she's the one that's in six. She thought she was 16, you know, and all out there, you know, it's just incredible. And, and our best musician, uh, God has blessed it with that gift. And uh, she's at U of I doing a sophomore this year in the music production, music and technology production and linguistics. She's going double major since she's been um, using, learning, and even been to South Korea already because she's, uh, you know, fun of this language. 
I don't know how she decided to go with Korean uh, after Spanish, and then you know she was born in New Orleans as well. So this is one of those things that you're gonna go like God. I mean, what's going on here, you know? But He's in control of that, and and so I wanna introduce you. I, I missed to do that on the first service. I don't wanna miss it twice because then I'm in trouble. Uh, my the apple of my eye, you know, my better half, like they said, is, is my fool, actually. Mi cosita linda, as we call it in Spanish, you know, Aleida Munoz. Uh, could you stand, baby, please? Because she's real and she's here with us. And uh, she goes with me. And I would like to introduce to you as well uh, Catherine, Miss Cate, you know, as we call her, Cate is from Venezuela. One of, uh, one of our first, uh, I mean, our most recent uh, additions to, to the church family. Uh, we're living in a transitional time right now uh, as a church, but also, uh, you know, in the family. And, and I'm so glad that all of what I've been praying for, you know, for years, uh, God is, is answering in a, in a kind of miraculous way, weird way, whatever you call it. But that's how God works, right? I mean, is that working out of our scope or planning or whatever we think, you know, we're going to have laid down, figure it out. God said, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's cute. But let me show you. Let me show you how I'm going to work in your life and through your life. And with the minister belongs to me, by the way. It is my body. And so that's amazing. And, and, and Kata came uh, to us, you know, being uh, already fully bilingual. And not only that, in a minute you're going to see her playing the guitar as well with us, which uh, for a long, 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 long time, I've uh, been just leading with my guitar, you know, and worship and, and building up, you know, different students in the music. Um, but they end up, you know, growing up in the instrument, and for whatever reason, they move away, they move out, and here goes back to me with the guitar, you know, and, and my family as well, you know. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here, and like I said, I don't take it for granted. I know um, this is an opportunity not just for um, sharing about God's power in our lives, but also to share from God's power in His Word, you know, which is the main thing, and that's why we're here for. So don't panic if you hear me just telling the story and, and how, the, I mean, don't worry about time as well. This is the second service. There's no Sunday school. I mean, we're going to go through everything here, you know, uh, not the Bible, you know, like 66 books, <laughs> strap on. No, uh, just, you know, the fact that I'm here to share this because I think it's important for us to know that everyone has a story and somehow in God's sovereignty and stewardship, you know, for everything that he created, he brings us together. He brings us together with a reason for a purpose. And, and, and that purpose is, is to give, it, give Him glory with whatever we do in, in whichever shape or way we do it. So um, I'm, I'm honored and, and thankful to God. I'm, I'm here to not just to read from the Word of God how thankful we must be. This is not going to be a sermon about thanksgiving, even though we're Diving into that season, we, we still see some skulls in the stores and some homes still have the cobwebs and on some for years. But, you know, <laughs> we, we passed that, you know, 
season or whatever they call it, you know, in the end of October. And we're diving into the Thanksgiving time. But at the same time, I want you to know that this should be all year long for the rest of our days. We must be thankful to our Father. Now, the big question here, why am I here? <laughs> what in the world? I mean, how, how is a, a Tony Munoz, a guy from Honduras with a family of five, you know, and, 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 and ended up where I'm at right now, just an hour or maybe two hours, an hour from Mount Vernon maybe, um, north of you. How did I choose that? Did I go like you see in the movies? I heard the stories, you know, get the globe, just spin it, and you go like, here. That doesn't happen like that. And I'm telling you for sure, I didn't do that. In fact, I fought every possible way to come to where God has me in place and in his sovereignty and control of everything. We are uh, a product of actually the, the, the missionaries that went down uh, to Central America. The IMB, International Mission Board from the Southern Baptist Convention, sent several missionaries since my childhood. All my childhood, I've been looking up the work of uh, an American family, you know, done in partnership with a Hispanic Honduran pastor. They're reaching out, being missional, being intentional about training the younger generations in different aspects. In fact, I had the privilege to work alongside, uh, hand by hand, with the last missionary that Central America, probably Latin America, saw that was sent because of music. He was a graduate from Southern um, Baptist Theological Seminary with the master's degree in conducting. Keith Reynolds lives now in Nashville, Keith and Kathy. And they were there in the big city of Honduras, and over a million people there. And he was steering up the pot, going to the music school to serve as a teacher, but at the same time working with us in First Baptist Church, trying to be the epicenter of whatever was going to do, God was going to do through music, through the music ministry. So here I was jumping around with him, you know, trying to play every instrument I could with him and singing in the choirs and uh, participating, recruiting people, going to different churches, you doing a, a, a citywide choir that will sing at the central park of the city, you know, in special occasions. And then and, and during Christmas time, you know, going to the uh, different main events, you know, for Christmas in hotels, conference centers with the handbell production and choir and children's thing. I mean, it was just amazing what this man was bringing, you know, that, that I never thought. In the meantime, me and my, my wife, which were not married at the time, I mean, she was still chasing me and all that, but we were actually working with the youth at First Baptist. She was chasing me. What was that? That was not a joke. You, you laugh at that. You, you, you can tell them, right? You can be my wish. Just give me the eyebrow. <laughs> Guys, I better get out of there. So we, we were there serving with the youth. And, and, and after eight years doing it, you know, we, we're thinking we need more than just a Saturday night. And, and the pastor told us, I think you're feeling a calling there because you, you're sensing the need. But at the same time, I see the passion in it. And, and this is what he said to me. When I'm there telling him that we need to find a pastor for the youth, he said, uh, you actually 
think, I think you, 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 can do, you guys can do this. And we have both full-time jobs, like full-time kind of jobs, you know. I was a general manager of another company. She worked for Wrangler, the Maquila Doras, you know, she was a production manager as well. So, no, 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 it was not us. What are you talking about, you know, you need to do that? And by the way, he said, you're pretty good with the Bible, but, but you need to have like a formal training. It's best if you, if you go to seminary. I'm going like, this is wrong. This, I mean, you're the pastor and everything, but check with God. Because, you know, here I am telling you, we, we need more people. We, and, and, and the only thing that they have you you're trying to send away, how does that work? But sure enough, I'm not going to get you into details on how things lined up and started going. But, you know, I went with the leadership. I said, well, you, you're the pastor. You, you, you're supposed to have the vision for this, for the church. And, and um, I'm going to take you on that word. I'm going to find that out. And guess what? Keith Reynolds, remember him? He showed up the next week with a catalog from Southern and said, here are the programs, here are the forms, here are the things that the church needs to fill out in order to send you over there. I'm like, hold your horses, man. I said that in Spanish, by the way. I mean, he, he was pretty fluent in Spanish, so I did not speak English or anything like that. And, and, and he said, this is a, a quick option for you, and if, it's, if the church is serious about that, this can happen. And so that conversation didn't last very long because he said, well, this is awesome when we went to the pastor's office, but, you know... Um, you're not even married. And, and if you go into seminary, you know, they're going to be in the guy's dorm and the, in the girl's dorms. And, uh, you know, she's going to see tall, blonde men, green eye and all that. And it's, I don't know, you know, because we were dating back then. You know, I'm going like, so what? Let's get married. That, that, if that's what you think. And she looked at me like, what do propose, do? I'm thinking, well, if, if this is what, let's, let's speed up with this. Let's do it the, the right way. That, and, she, and he said, this is where the best words of wisdom from a pastor, you know. You're not getting married because you're going to seminary. You're not getting married because you're going to pursue pastorate and all that. I mean, you're getting married because you love her. And at that time, we were dating, what, three years or somewhere. And I'm going like, yes, I love her. And, and I can be ready. And then again, you know. I've been waiting all this time, you know, and you're saying now that we're ready and all that, but long story shorter, that didn't happen at that time. We were back, square back to zero. We waited, and we were actually like five and a half years into dating, beautiful time. And then we just decided, you know, to get married. We established there, you know, we're going to be together for a full year before we start family. We, we were planning on that. And, uh, you know, enjoy what God has for us. I'm talking about more than four years that we never came back to that office for that in particular. We were still working with the ministry, and I was doing the music in the ministry as well. Until that year happened, and we started aiming for the family, and Antonio was born. And then at that time, my mother-in-law used to be in New Orleans, and she said, I want to meet the grandson. Why don't you come to New Orleans for the Christmas season? And keep in mind, this is 1999. If you remember the Y2K, those old enough, 
will know that the world was going to end in 2000. Because every computer will go like, what is this? I cannot, the binary, you know. You know. And all the planes were going to go like, uh, boom. I mean, it was, it was so, <laughs> yes, it was a hysteria about the end of times and because of the reset and the new millennium and all, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I thought, well, uh, honey, I think your mom is right. And if this is going to crash, I better be like, closer to Houston, you know, in case there's space shuttles ready for, you know, whatever is happening. I want to get on that bus. And uh, it, it, honestly, I thought, you know, if this is true, I better be up north, you know, <laughs> where people that are engineering these things are already ahead of us here in whatever happens. But God had a different plan. And actually, the pastor came to us when I announced, you know, that we're not going to be for Christmas. We used to do a play production and all that. You know, we rented the um, theater in the city to do all these things. I'm going like, I'm not directing that. We talked about this in July or somewhere in there, so they will have different people ahead of this. And you know what he said then? Do you still have the calling? And I'm going like, well, the calling is a calling. You have it or not. This is not something that God said, eh, I don't think so anymore. He will do it. He will pursue that. And say, I'm glad you're saying that because, you know, that package you brought me from Southern Baptist, there's another sister seminary in New Orleans that you need to go check it out and maybe get the package from there and we can, you know, take this again. To my surprise, that I thought that this is cool. I... I can get to visit a, a seminary. And we went right in the middle of the Christmas break. You could almost see all the bell things, you know, going, nobody was there. The student center was empty, dark. The fountain that sits in the center was off, no water even. And we walk in there, you know, hello, 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 how are you? You know, that kind of setting, trying to look for a brochure or something that gives us information about the place. And lo and behold, there is this man. I mean, literally, this is like the movies, you know. I mean, he was like kind of dressed up because we went on a Sunday or something like that. And he's stepping down. And my son just run off of me. And he goes like a cat, you know, between his legs, you know, playing around. And, and how are you? How can I help you? I said, well, we're from Honduras. We're looking for information. He said, come to my office. Brother Jared, that was Dr. Paul Gregoire. He was the dean for international students admissions there by himself. He said, I just came to the office, I thought, just to pick up things because, uh, some documents, because I'm going to Paris tomorrow. But since I'm here, let me help you with this. And through a conversation, he figured out that I was fully bilingual. <laughs> I was not. She was. And she did most of the talking while I affirmed some things. Yeah, sure, of course, you know things that sounded well that I learned in the movies, you know, phrases and things. He waved my TOEFL, which is the English proficiency test that you have. That, that's huge. He said, you don't need to take the TOEFL. And so he scratched that out, you know, so the people at the embassy could see that I, I was fully bilingual. Lord, that was a mistake. But any, anyways, we were approved, and we started there our journey. We left family. We left the ministry thinking that we will come back in four years. Everybody, 
from all the 65 nations that go to a seminary to get a degree, that was always the number one question. Are you planning to go back? And I always said yes. In the same second, they asked the question. We, of course, we, we, we're going back. We have a ministry. They're, da, da, da. They're waiting for us. They're not paying for us to be here or anything, but, you know, it, it's a call. That's how we came here. And brothers and sisters, God had different plans. 2005, if you remember, Katrina hit New Orleans in a very bad way. And we didn't have a place to go, so we kept driving north. We didn't have the resources to go back home, even though people were calling us and saying, you know, I think this is a sign from God that you need to be back here. What are you going to do? And I was this close. I was one semester away to walk with my degree in music because my wife enrolled in the Master of Marriage and Family Counseling, and I thought, I don't want to be a pastor. I played the Jonah card. You have no idea how many times, you know, going like Nineveh. Nope, that's, that's not the way, you know. Let's keep focusing here. And they offered me the Master of Divinity, the Master of Biblical Studies, and all the things. I'm going like, I got enough with one language. Don't give me Greek or Hebrew or anything like that. And then last resource kind of thing, they say there is always the music program. And I thought, I'm a musician, yes. That, that you see, we, we come to that agreement, but this close, and we were displaced. By the grace of God, the president of the seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, Southwestern, that the theological seminary, opened up the doors for international students only, saying, if you have no place to go, I've been displaced, you got a free tuition for this fall 05 and three months free of rent. I said, honey, we don't need to pray for that. That's an answer already. So I said, sign me up. And they, sure enough, uh, have a, uh, an apartment for me. And the guy that was waiting for me in the middle of the night to hand me the keys, because I was with, just with my five, with the, that was not moving time because everything was flooded. He said, uh, what were you doing in New Orleans? I said, I was in the music degree. And he said, have you done any recordings? And I said, yeah, since I was in Honduras. But yes, that's what we did also. They're on seminary. Do you have experience with uh, videos and cameras and all that? I said, yes. I studied marketing in Honduras as well, so I know uh, some of that. But what are you talking about? He said, well, you're an answer to a prayer. You can start working for us tomorrow. And he gave me his card. He was the director of media for the campus. And I'm going like, I'm an answer to your prayer? <laughs> I want to get a paycheck from you, man. What are you talking about? And right there, he said... Just go register first and then come to my office. And I started being the supervisor for the media productions in the music school. So I had to produce a CD, a DVD for library purposes of every recital. Everybody who sing or play anything had to be recorded under my instructions with a staff of 17 people. Like that, overnight. Since there, I started thinking, what are you doing? Oh, God. And then... As I'm recording a session, an evangelistic conference for Hispanic pastors, guess who they called to do that recording? They said, you will know when they are finished or done. So go there and produce the material, all the media they need. In that session, while we were on a break, I stepped out to the bathroom and 
Sure enough, there was a man there that saw me with the uniform or whatever I was wearing. He said, you're the media guy? Yes. Um, can you come here to a room, please? And that was a meeting of all the trustees of the seminary and the president and the big kahunas there. And he said, we, got, we, we need a, a help with this mic. Can you help me with this? And as I come in, I, one of those things, you know, that you have to plug it in again and check it. And it worked. And I see this man sitting down there with a humongous mustache. And he said, where are you from, mijo? I'm going, like, uh, originally from Honduras. I've never seen you here on campus. I came with the internationals that arrived with 12 families from New Orleans. You're from New Orleans? Yeah. And then he switched to Spanish, you know, to tell me, uh, come to my office so we can go have lunch. I want to hear your story. And he said, I'm Rudy Gonzalez. It was Dr. Rudy Gonzalez, you know, the vice president for student life in the seminary. And after that, God made the connection. Three different associations in the central south area of Illinois, Nine Mile, Kaskaskia, and Salem South, have been scrambling through all six seminaries looking for a Hispanic family, pretty much with my profile. And then Dr. Gonzalez picks up the phone to my office in Southwestern and he said, I need you to come to my office. So I'm grabbing my toolbox and everything. Maybe a speaker blew up or something. You know, and I go in and say, no, I don't need you for technical stuff. I, I want to ask, what are you going to do this summer? We're talking about 2006. And he said these words to me, there is a place south of Chicago. I can't remember the name. But, you know, they need to have an internship there to see if the Hispanic plant will work. And I'm going like, yeah, Nehemiah Project. I know about this in New Orleans. And so are you trying to replicate that? Yeah. But you need to pray with your wife because it's going to be from May to August. You come back and, and continue with your studies, which my, I may add they switched me to the Master of Divinity program because the music programs were not compatible, and I was about to graduate. And they said, this is the way you can finish or transient, and then you go back to New Orleans to finish. So you take a choice. I'm going like, okay, as long as I don't sign anything where I says I'm going to be a pastor, right? Master of Divinity it is. When we prayed and we said, we'll go, and even with my children trying to figure out, you know, what happened. I thought this was temporary. Where is my back? And all the stuff that, you know, a child will ask about this transitional time. We ended up in Effingham, Illinois. Yes. Have you been there? Have you been by that big white cross? Five blocks into that exit, you come to my place. Right in there. You can count them. It's right there on the corner. It took me like three months to learn the name. And when I'm in meetings out of state or whatever, and I say, I'm from Effingham, Illinois, and then some of them go like, what's wrong with the ham? Because they don't know I'm talking about the name of the city, you know? Yeah, some of them are getting it now. <laughs> yeah, I see. But I, I didn't even know, you know, because I'm going like, ham, what ham? I'm, I don't see any ham. Said, well, you know, you know what the word effing means? Uh, no, and then that's not supposed to be said here. But the thing is, we had no idea what we were facing, what we were going into, 
until God started showing people. Uh, in a providential way, Calvary Baptist Church sits like on the uh, north corner, south corner of the Mexican store in town. And guess what? The parsonage where they allow us to stay for that internship is next to the Mexican store. And the families that own that store were believers that didn't have a church. In a 14-county area, there was no church. I mean, no Presbyterian, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Catholic mass, nothing that was available in Espanol 17 years ago. And they were excited about getting the foot in the door for this new growth that was happening in the central south area of Illinois with the Latinos, with the Hispanics, and honestly, they call them the Mexicans that were here. And so I thought, we, we, we have an opportunity here. But I knew that it was an internship, so I had a window, and I told them, I'm, I'm leaving August 15th, so we need to make sure that we go to every home, go to the parks. I went to the mayor's office, to the Chamber of Commerce, to different places to say, what are the Latinos doing here? Do you have any idea, any census to see how many are there, where they're located, what is their entertainment? You know what I found? Nothing. No response to anything. So we had to do it ourselves. We had to actually engage the community. And as I was sharing the Sunday school, you know, the community then started looking at us. And in the first month and a half, we already had 45 people coming. And that's when they said, you know, we, we don't need any report anymore. We need for you to stay and continue with the church. I'm going, like, what church? I'm here to, you know, stick to the program, right? I'm here to give a report on how feasible it is. You, I agree with you. You need to bring a pastor. He said, you are the pastor. And that's the first time that came like a thunder, you know. <laughs> I'm going like, what? How is Jesus compelled you? I mean, I mean, I was like, what is what you're saying? And he said, I believe that God is doing what he's doing because he's doing it with you and through you, and you need to stay. And I said, no, I cannot stay. I'm a student. I'm not a pastor. I need to go finish. They go, well, you can finish it. And we went back and forth like, you know, like a negotiation thing. Till I said, you know what? In order to do that, I, 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 you know, I will have to just stay on my visa. My visa says F1, that is international student. And that has a limit, and it's according to the degree I'm pursuing. The minute I, I, I forget about that, how, how am I going to stand in the pulpit? How am I going to be preaching you know, and teaching God's ways, God, you know, God's timing on things if I didn't obey this timing? and I didn't obey the authorities, and I, I don't want to have that as I'm leading the people that God's going to bring to his body. And they understood that part. They respected that very much. I'm glad they did, because guess what? They went back, and in a week's time, they turned around and said, we got it, brother. Here it is. There is a way that you can continue to study but do a full-time ministry here. I'm going, like, what are you talking about? It's called R1, Religious Worker Visa. We, the lawyer we consult, they, they said that, you know, you were uh, uh, 
pastor for the youth in the Baptist church, was baptized in San Pedro Sula. Then you serve in the uh, national convention there as a youth leader. Then you came to a, a Baptist seminary in New Orleans. Calvary Baptist Church is the one sponsoring you for this work. And then you're going to be planting a, a Baptist church. You're, you're a poster child for this. I mean, he said that he can get it and, and you can uh, be approved for this. I said, man, you, you, don't know. you need time and money for, do, for doing that. that that's, I, I don't have both, so I'm sorry. They came back around the following week and he said, you know what? Uh, don't worry about the money. We're going to take care of everything. And guess what? Another one. There is a lawyer who had had 800 cases, you would be the 801, and zero failure. They were all approved for F1 to R1, that exact same thing that we're doing. And I said, well, again, I'm thankful for you guys footing the bill for this, but then I don't have the time for that. We're in, in the first week of July, you know, I remember because of the 4th of July, and we had a, a, a festival where we joined both cultures and did the food thing and all that and all the corn products from this area, while well, they did all the chimichangas and all of that <laughs> from their birthplaces. And, and so he said, that's where we got the surprise for you. This man says that there is an expedite premium process that will get you that visa in 15 days. To which I laugh, you know, I said, you don't know your government. This is not, I mean, 15 days, really? You think I'm the next LeBron James or whatever? I mean, I don't have the height for that. I'm not a mad Hindu scientist, you know, that is on the verge of discovering the new vaccine or, you know, any oriental guy that has the tech capacity to do new codes and everything. I, I, I'm not that at that level. You, know, you think there's going to be brought to the president and say, oh, yeah, we need this guy really fast and approved, given the citizenship. <laughs> no way that's going to happen. But you know what? At that point, I said, I see your leap of faith. I see you're, you're really wanting to do this. So here's going to be my leap of faith. I'll bring my family. I move them and, and establish them with the school system here. But make no mistake, August 15 comes, and I don't see that miracle, the R1 visa, I'm going back to fulfill my F1 visa. I'm going back to Southwestern and camp there and wait and I will wait even for the dropping out period, you know, when you drop classes. And I will wait for that other week to be ready in case I have to come back. If not, I will register then and I'll be a student. And I'll do my best to fulfill that. But you're going to take care of my family here. They didn't do it every week, but, you know, my itinerary will be like I will get on the plane in Dallas on Friday night after the weekend seminary and come spend time with my family Saturday, preach on Sunday, and a deacon from Calvary will take me to St. Louis Airport at 5 in the morning to be in Dallas, you know, at 9 a.m. for my first chapel of the week. And we did that on and on, not every week, like I said, but they did the best effort to do it as often as possible. Until, guess when? 15 days? <clears throat> no. It was six months. It was December 17th. When I was in the middle of finals, may I add, 
studying, <laughs> wrecking my brain, when, like in the movies, you know, we need to speak with Mr. Munoz, I mean, a guy in a dress, a black suit, uh, dressed up in a black suit with a black tie and everything, and sure enough, he pulled me out and asked me those questions, you know, what are you doing here? And I went like, you took me out of my classroom. You know what I'm doing here. I'm studying like I'm supposed to. How many classes do you have? And I listed the classes, and, and then uh, so uh, several questions that he was just very fine. He knew all of this. He was not finding out. But then he just asked me the crucial question that I saw the ball coming, you know, and boom. Because he said, where is your family? And I'm going like, thanks to you in Effingham, Illinois. Because you were supposed to approve this months ago. And he said, well, hold on. What are they doing there? And I explained the whole thing, purpose and everything. And then he just tapped on my knee. He said, you'll be hearing from us soon. And he got up and said, well, yeah, how soon? And, you know, as I see him going out, my wife calls me and she said, she just left. I said, who are you talking about? The, the agent, the immigration agents, they came here to the house. I mean, you were not here. It's going like, honey, I got one too. What did they ask you? Did they ask you for this? And I, we were just checking the answer. And boop, boop, boop. I'm going like, it's Pastor Bob. Let me answer to him. And, and I will tell him what happened. And as, I answered, as he answered, he said, he just left. And I said, who are you talking about? Immigration agent? He said, yes, he was here. He asked me for everything. He even took the phone book and ripped off the page where it says Calvary Baptist Church. So, we, so they knew that this is a real church and you're going to do a real ministry. I'm going like, what are you talking about, real church, real ministry? He said, well, apparently, out of 100 applicants for the religious worker visa, 67 are fraudulent. They end up driving cabs or, you know, working in kitchens or whatever. I mean, they, they say they're going to start a church, that they have a small church that are intended to grow, and they need this visa. And once they get the work and the social security number and everything else, off they go away. I said, but I'm a premium expedite process. They said, yeah, they were screwing. You were randomly selected from that group to ask for the kitchen sink. <laughs> I'm going like, okay, to God be the glory, free at last. I don't think I finished my last exam. <laughs> I just grabbed my bags and <laughs> went to my family. And since then, God has been showing us time after time. He's taking care, not just of us as a family, but of the ministry and even what comes beyond that. God is faithful. And his goodness has always been shown to us, even as we minister and as we've been shifting and raising men and women in the word of God, presenting them with the gospel, coming and, and, and asking them to follow Christ, to take up their cross daily, and to observe the miracles that God is performing in their lives. As we've been sending out people and receiving new people as well, God continue, continues to remain faithful. At this time, I'm just going to ask uh, Kate and my wife to come up front because I would like to sing with you. If you remember back in 2001, that was the year we came to New Orleans Seminary. 
and because of the circumstances, the way they presented, we were separated. In other words, my wife and my children had to go back to Honduras to switch at that time from tourist visa to student visa in order for my wife to be a full-time student. And uh, they left little after my birthday on August 31st. But if you remember what happened in 9-11 that year, all the U.S. embassies shut down across the world, including my country. And if you remember, the guys who perpetrated these attacks entered the country as international students. They were coming to learn how to fly the plane. Not how to land it, but how to fly. And because of that, especially the international student visas were shut down. And we spent, that was my horrible Christmas that I remember. But at the same time, that time where I got closer with God and the first trial that he did on the calling for my life. And I remember, Great is Thy Faithfulness was the hymn that will hold us together every time on the phone. Back then, there was no FaceTime, no Zoom calls or anything like that, so I couldn't see them. But I was for sure knowing that God was at work. It was a hard thing to swallow, but I knew that God did not intend it to leave me hanging in there, but to actually hold on to Him and trust Him with everything. And we experienced a new level of goodness from the Lord. And since then, we continue to sing. And now this new song that you know and you feel free to sing with us that talks about the goodness of God. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been holding your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my hand, I will see my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I I've led me through the fire You are close like no other Oh, you like a thousand Oh, you like a friend I have Oh, my life, you have 
goodness is running out, it's running after me. Your goodness is running out, it's running after me. With my life laid down and surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Is running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. All my life is not in the Yes, Lord, you have been. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made, I will sing of the goodness of God. singing to you, O oh God, because you are good, because your mercies endure forever. And we know, God, that you have purpose in our lives. In every step of the way, I know you have been faithful, because great is your faithfulness, O oh Lord. And the opportunities we have to come before you, to sing praises to you, to acknowledge how good you are to us. And how you're not done with us for our lives. I pray, O oh God, at this moment, as we pause and reflect in your word, that you continue to be faithful to those who are not in a comfortable place right now. Those who are suffering, that are scattered through Israel, Palestine. Keeping in our minds as well the believers in Ukraine that are still far away from home are in the exile. For those, O oh God, that are serving in ministry, the friends and the families that we have there giving meals and helping out and do work of rescue and search for those who have been kidnapped. I pray, O oh God, that you continue to be faithful to them, that you continue to show your great and mighty power for them as well as we come and reflect with your word here in your place, in your church. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give me to share from your scripture and the opportunity we have to have the freedom to do it openly. Father, I pray that as we do this, we not only become hearers of your word, but also doers. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. I just want to go through this scripture. I thank you very much for joining me with this moment of worship. Philippians 1, verses 3 and on. I mean, I had it till 11, but I promise you I won't go through every verse <laughs> till verse 11. 
I think we're going to focus on the core here of um, this expression that Paul is giving to the believers in, in Philippians. And, and as he is accustomed to in the writing of the letters, you know, just like he did to the believers in Ephesus and Thessalonica and um, Rome and even, uh, you know, Colossae, where he had never seen the faces of, of these believers, you know, that is just uh, uh, through the reports that Epaphras was bringing to him in prison as well, you know, that he is encouraging them to say in Christ is everything when he preached about the supremacy of Christ and that all these ideas, like we have much in our world today about Christ is good, but you need to add this. No, 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 Paul is saying, you know, Christ, here's the equation, Christ plus something equals to nothing. And just in the same way, you know, if you have everything minus Christ, you lost it. You have nothing as well. Because the real equation is that Christ plus nothing equals everything. And that's why Paul is trying to instill. And every time he writes to these people, you know, they, to those believers, he's always expressing how thankful he is. And, and may I add, and you may know if you've been studying the Word of God, you know, and you know this, you know, that this letter, he wrote it while he was in chain, while he was in the, in the Roman prison. And yet you can see the joy that he has to be able to communicate, to be able to send this letter, to be able to encourage others, and to be able to remind them, just like I'm doing here today, and I joined Paul here to tell you I thank God. I thank my God. He's making it even personal. Not just God, but my God. God, God Paul is making sure, you know, it's, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and all of them. It is my God as well, and it is your God, and I thank him in all my remembrance of you. You might say, Pastor Tony, but, you know, we just met you. What are you talking about remembrance? Well, you know, this is the first Hope it's not going to be the last. Right, Pastor? There you go. <laughs> so uh, we're going to have time. And, 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 and I come here, you know, even though I have never been in this pulpit, which I'm honored to be, I've been in this area, and, and I've been with some of you. I, mean, I see so many faces I recognize from the work we were doing with the migrant workers. And I've seen you guys. We shook hands together. We served together. We passed meals together. We were in the fields together. A lot of you, I didn't have the privilege to go to Wayne City, you know, but while well, I was, Jonathan was there with Alex Hercules, and, and, and we were uh, in Centralia, pretty much camping there with, with Pastor Ricky as well. And at the end, you'll see some pictures about that as well. But the thing is that we are together in this, and, and this is where he's heading. If you see the next verse, verse 4, all my remembers of you, and then what? Always in every prayer with my, of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. You see all the absolutes there in every prayer. Paul was always making sure that everybody knew that he was praying for him. You might think that when somebody is in prison, no, nothing can be done. The, the fact that they're private of the freedom, that means that they're incapable to do anything. No, no, no. You can still pray. 
You can still pray. You can still share the gospel. I remember the first experience we had back in 2009. You know, I had one of my disciples already trained up to do Bible studies in Centralia while I was trying to get up north to Champaign to get to reach out the next city that I knew that had more population of Latinos. And all of a sudden, you know, as, as, as Pablo, funny enough, his name is Paul in Spanish, Pablo is coming down to Centralia, and he was pulled over for driving too slow. I never heard that one before. Hint, hint. He was driving too slow, and then, uh, you know, he was pulled over, and, and, and he was actually uh, really, you know, apparently trying to get under the speed limit. But the reasons, or whatever didn't happen, he was arrested. He couldn't provide. Back then, we didn't have the temporary visitor driver's license, so... He was not providing for any license. He was using his passport and his uh, Mexican driver's license, which not every cop is trained to, you know, um, do that. I, I learned that day. And so when I got the phone call, when I hear this at 6 in the morning, you know, call from Salem, Penitentiary, or, you know, whatever it is, the machine, would you accept the call from Pablo Olmos? Okay. Yes, Pablo, Pablo, what are you doing in jail, man? We were supposed to be teaching the Bible study. Did you find a non-believer who was stubborn enough for you to do something to him or what? What's the case here? Help me understand. And sure enough, I heard the story, and, and this is the first thing I ask him. What do you need? I'm heading down there right now. What should I bring you? And you know what he said? They took my Bible. Bring me one. Oh, yeah, that's what I went. Oh, my Lord. I went crying the whole way down. And I'm serious about this because that's when you see God at work. That's when you see, not just talking about the transformation, because I remember I led him to Christ. I dunked him in the baptismal waters. I've been with him in every step of the way, thinking that it's a Bible study, thinking that it's a training to the doctrines of the Bible, thinking that, you know, you need to understand this, the concept, the cross-reference. And I mean, thinking I'm doing academia, but he got it. He got it. He was one in his Bible. He said, I got six other Latinos here that I need to speak to with the Word of God in my hands. I got enough of the memory. I used them all already. And that's what I did. And that was the first experience when an actual transit for immigration went all the way. I'm not going to spend much time into that, but I went and picked him up in Chicago. You know why? Because an immigration agent from his cell phone called me and said, you know, Paul, uh, uh, Pablo said, gave me this number saying that you're his pastor. I have no records. I have no, I mean, he's, I don't even know why he was arrested. He has a clean sheet here, but he has a chance to come back to the lawyer in one year. Do you want him? Do, 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 do. I was already in Champagne, you know. Yes, I want him. I went and picked him up, got him out of uh, jail. We went out to a Mexican restaurant so he can get back to his tortillas immediately. You know, like, I need him. And so... Once we're eating, you know, in the middle of that meal, I'm telling him, pa Pablo, uh, what do you want to do? You know, they gave you a year. 
You can always go to a different state, you know, fly under the radar, as they say, and all that. And she just stopped eating, put the taco down, and looked at me and said, I did that once. And I was not a believer then. What are you talking about under the radar? And I'm going like, <laughs> another, oh, again. I'm going like, yes. So if it's not that, you know you have to be, well, I don't know how much I'm interested in the lawyer thing and to come back in a year before the judge. Because that was one option. I'm going like, what are you talking about? They said I can always go back to my country. And I said, so? He said, Santa Rosa Sur, Huchique de Ferrer, Veracruz, there are communities there. Where I'm coming from, there is not a single church. This is the time when I can go and bring the gospel. That was our first missionary. Then, because of what God is doing, because of all the prayer we do. And you see, no wonder Paul is saying, my prayer with joy. You see, this is a, a two-sentiment thing, that two emotional words here, you know, the thankfulness and the joy. I mean, you can always uh, actually combine them, you know, in a thankful joy or a joyful thanks. I mean, but Paul is combining these things to saying, I cannot stop but praying for you every time that you're in my mind, in my memories, every time I remember of you, and, and there is a reason behind this. There is a reason why I'm joyful, and the next verse will tell you that. The cause of the because, it's in verse 5 saying, because of your partnership in the gospel. And brothers and sisters, I, I am here to tell you the same thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for being partners with our ministry, with the cause, with the partnership in the gospel. You know, that's, this is the very thing that we're talking about. And then it calls my attention. You might wonder even if you're studying the Word and you, you read through, you don't skip things, but instead dive in, you know. It, it says from the first day until now. I got to know. I don't know about you, but I got to know. What do you mean first day? Do you remember first days? Probably the person next to you. Do you remember where you first met her? So I see some of the ladies going like, it's talking to you. Yes, that first time. There is always something about that first time. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, that first burger there at the place that, you know. You might be thinking about many things with the first time. Paul had his first day. And he's actually, he explains this further down. If you have a brother in chapter 4, or if you're flipping pages, you can go to chapter 4 because in there, this, he's, he's actually expressing uh, when this happened, when took place, and in what context this took uh, um, place for his ministry as well. In verses 15, it started saying, you know, and you Philipp Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, you see how he uses that word there, you know, that is tied up to the very first verse of the whole book. In the beginning. God created. In the beginning, God established. Talking about this administrative sovereignty that God has over all. From creation to the point of delivering a good news. The actual freedom of sin. Freedom of, of death. The provision of the very work of Jesus Christ for humanity. And Paul is saying, you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is the area where Philippi sits on, 
No church enter into partnership with me in giving and receiving. What is that surprising for you, Paul? I mean, what, what do you mean, you know, no church enter into partnership? Well, everybody must have questioned him. Is this guy for real? You know, kind of like immigration did with me. Is he going to be one of those fraudulent visas here? Every church that I've been to, just in my association, we have 32 churches. You know how many are there partnering with us? It used to be nine. I've dropped down to six right now. And it's not because they don't know me or they don't know what we're doing because we're constantly sharing with them what's been happening, how the gospel is advancing. And I'm not comparing here by any chance to Paul, but what I'm saying is I think about how many people went like, is this Saul, the guy that was pulling everybody out of church, the guy that was actually so diligent that he went to the official to get credentials to go and tear down a church and bring down people and kill the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is this the same guy we're talking about? He wants what now? For us to partner with him? Is he out of his mind? What's, how can, no. And he's clear saying, no church enter into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Could have been, I mean, it, 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 this is precious because it, let, let me keep saying, you know, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. That was the next church plan that Paul did after Philippians. And, and look, now, now he's referring to actual monetary things and, and resources. He's saying, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And you see, before you start thinking, or, or if you're thinking, you know, here's this preacher, you know, that is holding a Latino church, and he's coming here to ask to partner, to ask for money, to ask for help for that. Yes, that's what I'm doing. No, just kidding. I'm not pointing that out, because like Paul is saying here, that's not the point. The point is not how much can you support it with, how much, how much I mean, I, I, I call the church and say, guys, you're missing this opportunity here. Don't quit on us. Well, things are tough. Finances are suffering. I'm not saying, you know, stop giving money. Don't stop giving money. I'm saying is don't fall off the partnership. Keep us in your prayers. Keep coming. Keep joining us with the fellowship that we do. We do, by the way, bilingual services every Sunday at 6.30 p.m. In case you want to get the bus and just follow me. That's where we're heading in Effingham tonight. And that's what we're doing. And I'm saying, don't, don't miss the opportunity. Like Paul said, I love it how he said, I seek the fruit that that increases unto your credit. I, I'm not pretending here to explain how crops work. How is the harvest? I mean, hello. I can be schooled here about how that works and the times and the years and the moons and I mean, the, the rain and the weather and all those things. At the end of the day, what matters is the fruit. Am I right? I mean, that's what you do what you do as farmers, to get a good harvesting, to get something worth all the effort, all the planning, all the times, days, hours, 
sweat that you put into that. And that's what Paul is saying. I seek the fruit. But notice how he's saying, for my benefit. Notice how he's not saying, sorry, for my benefit or for the church I'm planting. It says, to your credit. This goes back to you. This goes back to the fact that God is pleased with what you're doing. And not only he's pleased, but he is also putting this into your personal account. Ten Mile Baptist Church, I'm here telling you today that what you've been doing up until this point, it's crediting, crediting. God is not looking any other way. All of these things that you think, well, that was that. We did that effort. We do it next year, I guess. Everything works. And, and, and I'm not just talking about the missions that you're in. I, I, I was in love when I saw, you know, that you got a team going to Uganda. You got a team going to Mexico next week. Am I right? And so that's great. For, for a number of years now, I've, I've heard the name, Tell My Baptist Church, but you're missing the key word there that I saw in the building when I came in. Missionary? This changes things. This concept, I mean, they got it. And then I open the door and I see my life verse on the wall. I am the vine. I'm going like, is this something that I'm missing or what? I mean, this is beautiful. Anybody who has communications with me, I mean, I know we've been in touch with Lucas and emails and all that. That's my signature there. John 15, 5, comma, 16. I add the 16 because it's not me entering in something that I was not called. He chose me. Not just for salvation. He convicted my heart. He took away my spiritual blindness as he did from some of you who are here. And he called me for salvation first and called me to be an ambassador of Christ and at the same time to preach his word. To deliver God's message. It's a calling that I will never take for granted. Paul continues to say, I receive full payment here. Now I'm in verse 18 of Philippians 4. I, receive, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Again, we're talking about uh, uh, provision here. Physical, resources, money if you want to call it. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice how it's never mentioned any amount, any figure, anything. It's just saying what is what you're providing and the way you're doing it, which is described in other verses as well in Corinthians. We have different scriptures that refers to this act of the Philippians. From the first day I met, Paul is recognizing that they were the first one to say, yes, we're going to... Try it out with this guy and see how it goes. Probably. I don't know what was in their mind. But I'm pretty sure some enter into this doubting. But I'm so sure that some enter into this convicted by the Holy Spirit and saying, that's the one I have appointed to spread the gospel to Thessalonica, to Ephesus, to Rome, and to furthermore, and to bring up and raise men like Timothy, like Philemon, like Titus, like all others that are back behind him, like Epaphras, so he can open up the Colossians church. He is for sure that the 
this doesn't belong just to him. And it's not in his power by any means. That's what he's saying from the first day. I wonder if that happened. You remember the other time when he was in jail as well? In a Philippian jail, by the way. That he started singing and worshiping with Silas. And that's how I was recognized in the first service. And it was, worship was so powerful, like a 10-mile Baptist, you know, that the walls start tumbling, tumbling down. And even the jailer got worried, thinking, you know, I lost him. And as he was to commit suicide, you know, he said, I'd rather kill myself than suffering through a, a Roman punishment. And I won't bring disgrace to my family in that way. And as he's ready to do that, Paul is saying, hey, don't do it, man. We're all here. We're all accounted for. And you know, because of that earthquake that took place there that moment after the worship night, you know what happened? They went to the jailer house. He covered his wounds. I don't know if it was because of sanitation purposes, but he said, we're going to baptize you now. You're clean and ready. Let's go. Boom, boom. And him and his family. And then another family. You can see that in Acts, in Acts uh, chapter 16, I believe. How he was time after time. And where is this from? From Philippi. So I can't imagine that he's putting the faces there and, and thinking about them. And then verse 6, which is the key verse, and probably this is where I'm going to stop. says, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began, again, that connection with Father, with the Creator. He is the one who begins, and he is the one of new beginnings as well. He who began a good work. What work, Paul? What are we talking about? The mighty work of Jesus Christ. The very fact that he even details in the very next chapter. You remember, we're not going to flip pages there, but you see in Philippians chapter 2 how Jesus didn't hold. He didn't grasp the fact that he was equal to God or equally God to have something to grasp. But instead, he, he left that position, that glory because he was still God. It's not that he stepped down to just become a man. He was fully God and fully man. And, and we had the verb. We had the incarnation. God in the flesh. Which we're about to celebrate on the starry night. <laughs> Apparently here in, 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 in Ten Mile. And, and he came. Yes, as a baby. Yes, to enter. To be vulnerable. But to live a sinless life. So you and I can have that opportunity. That work didn't just come with the faith. Let me go down and mingle with them. No. He came to live a life of an example. He came to preach the gospel. He came to bring the opportunity for you and I to repent. And we can do that today as well. He is still with an open arms waiting for us to repent of our ways and to come to Him. And the Father is waiting for us with open arms to hug you and to have a feast on your name. And to get the best cough so you can celebrate with your family as well. Jesus performed what no one could do. Jesus delivered what no one could do. And if you keep reading there, you know, He began that word in you. And he will bring it to completion. That means we're still in progress. 
Brothers and sisters, our God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, don't do things halfway. They start something and they finish something. Show me a story in the Bible that he not finished what he started. Show me a story in the Bible when he promised something and he did not fulfill it. There are things that are not yet to be fulfilled, but there, make no mistake, are going to come to fruition. Make no mistake, he is going to come for you and I. But there is an in-between time. He is still working. He is still in the progress. He began the good work by giving you that opportunity, by finishing. Just like Philippians 2 says, he became a man. He became a servant. He became obedient, obedient to the point of death. That's when he actually finished the redemptive work. That's when he was nailed on the cross, when he, being 100% human, was suffering, was in pain, was thirsty. He didn't have anything in his stomach. He was pushing up in order to get some air in his lungs and just utter some words. Till he said the last one, Tetelestai, it is finished. I'm done here. For your sake, so you can be righteous, presented as righteous before Almighty God. And therefore, you and I can be called children of God. What an incredible gift we have. Not just the salvation, but the fact that until the day of Christ, until his return, brothers and sisters, we got work to do. We cannot just be idle. We cannot just be sitting down and just receiving these words Sunday after Sunday, week after week, without presenting ourselves as living sacrifice. Without presenting ourselves, this church needs you. This community needs you. It's kind of hard for me to say that with so much open fields here. I'm going like, where is the community here? I mean, there's a house. Where's the you know, I mean, they're different places. I don't know where you're coming from. I will have to follow you. <laughs> you know, like, is there, is, are we going to a house here? <laughs> it's amazing. But at the same time, I see children here. They go to schools. Some of you are homeschooling, but still have the opportunity to share this gospel, to continue to be partners, regardless of who you're speaking to. If it's breathing, it needs Jesus. It needs to hear the great news. So some of you may have that opportunity to go to Mexico, to go to Uganda. If you're going to have a tiny experience, here's my formal invitation. It's not in the form of a card. Come to Effingham. If you're going to have some experience, with somebody that you might feel awkward in the beginning. You might not know what to say, what to do. Should I shake hands? Should I hug? No, I'm not. Well, what am I supposed to do here? There's a community that, that will welcome you with open arms. Will share their stories as best they can, probably with an interpreter. But the truth is that even though we might be different and coming from different places and have different customs and traditions. There's one thing that unites us, and that is the blood of Christ. There's one thing that will bring us together as one. 
Jesus said to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You are there. I am there. The people I'm receiving right now from different countries. We used to have just the Mexicans and the Honduran family. Now the Mexicans are the minority. And when I say now, I'm talking about recently now. I mean, we just celebrated three weeks ago the first family from Venezuela that came to our place. Now I cannot say a number because we're still counting them. Because still we're still playing for those who are in the process. Because as far as the border goes, you know, and uh, all the mess that I have, they have going on down there, and I'm not here about mouthing, whatever it's happening, it's just the natural thing because of, as a consequence of the decisions that have been taken. But folks, I don't see this in any political way, and I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to say, regardless of how they're doing things, here's the reality. Some of them are just asked, you know, right there after they process or they begin the process of political asylum, they say, where do you want to go, St. Louis, Chicago, or New York? Well, uh, and they started scrambling and looking for families, and guess what? Guess what? Effingham is one of the connections because of families, friends, and, and all of that. And so we're becoming one big family and communities. Among themselves, they have nurses from Colombia. They have mechanics from Venezuela. They have people that uh, it's helping in other capacity. Great cooks. There's great chefs. I mean, the, the food that is coming to our places now is amazing. So it, it's all this diversity is bringing great fruit. But the most important thing is that we have the opportunity to present the gospel, to be partners in the gospel again and to continue to see transformed lives, to continue to raise the next generation, to bring the children with the message of God's love so they can be the light in their school system, so they can continue to grow knowing that there is a Savior and knowing that they can share that with family. Brothers and sisters, I, as I'm closing, I want to show you what I thought it was something that special calling that God did to my life starting last year when uh, Jonathan Delao contacted me and said, you know, brother, I've been talking to a man by the name of Liam Adams and uh, he explained to me, you know, he's a farmer down there and, and he has some migrant workers and and I stopped him right there, and we're like, why is he calling you up north? I mean, I'm right here, like, two hours. How did he skip that? You know, brother, I don't know what went down or whatever. But we knew then the story, how it started with this young boy and the connections. And that's what mattered at the end. I was simply trying to draw the logic of things. And that's not how God operates most of the time. Not with our logic, not with our brains. Thank him for that. But that's how we started, you know, with just a small group, four pastors. What well, it was supposed to be something that many signed up ended up being in four pastors. You know, Pastor Ricky, Pastor Rene Corona, who is in the presence of the Lord now. He passed away this year. And there we are in front of the Sugar Camp Baptist Church. Having the 
great vision of, you know, what can we do with this 90 plus migrant workers? Well, we're going to for sure, I brought my guitar and I said, we're going to for sure worship God in front of them, whether they follow or not. I brought all kinds of shakers, and some of them were tambourines and the shakers and the claves, you know. We were all having a party there, blasting, you know. I didn't know, I didn't know Jonathan had some rhythm in him, but I gave him a djembe, and he was like banging it, you know. I mean, he was doing great. And we started singing there, and then we presented the gospel, and we presented the need. The, 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 the confrontation with your eternal reality. Where are you going after this? Why are you doing all this? What are the sacrifices in your life? Why are you working hard so much? Why are you living for your family? And so, you know, that time we had 17 that came to Christ. And I started telling him, you know, I'm going to, after we're done with this project, I'm going to go to that hotel and continue on. I, I, I we have a small window, even smaller than the one I have in Effingham. You know, I knew that in two, three weeks they were going to be gone, and I'm going like, if I can show them the first step, the baptism, and you see the two men in black there, like next to me, the first one in the group, they're brothers. And they were so, like, thirsty for the Word of God. They wanted to have a clear path. Where are we going from here? Now that we surrender our life, what's next? What's required of us? And I'm saying, I'm glad you asked. And we did the baptism classes, and we started, you know, training them in what the, the Christian walk should be and how they needed to get their families involved. All of those men went back home with the Bible, with uh, 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 Sunday school material, you know, not for them to bring to church because they, don't, they were on church. And so I, I did a training on how to do that with the family. Make sure you get your family into this because me and my house will serve the Lord. And if you trust God with your heart and if you surrender your life to his sovereign will, chances are, just like it happened in my home with my dad when he accepted Christ when I was two years of age, my mom saw the behavior in two months she joined him to church only to surrender her life as well because he knew, she knew he, she had a different man. And so we continue to preach. This year, not only we have done the opportunity to come with the uh, pastors again, we replicate this in another place. And you were serving there, Wayne City. This is the result as I was looking at the other picture there of those brothers that we ended up baptizing. If you go to that other picture, brother, with the baptism, that was a, the Santos brother, uh, where true testimony, and what you're seeing there right now, and I want you to hold that picture, is the third brother that they brought this year. They said, you know, we want for him to listen what you taught us both. And what you see there praying, you know, the lady with the... White hair, she is 67, and she said, in my whole life I've never done a mission trip. I'm glad I came. And listen to me, these two ladies that you see there, these two grandmas woke up at 5.30 every morning to have breakfast for the team and then go to work both in, 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 in Centralia and Wind City to cook for the meal. All they cooking because, believe me, this Mexican has a 
they have a way to <laughs> prepare meals, you know. And, and just in the same church that you saw that picture of the four of us, there is now more than 16 people there that came down, children, grandmas, men and women. And we have Alexander, another pastor, that joined us as well, Brother Caesar as well. I had the opener. You see the three men in the back there with the widow and the shakers and all that. that. Those are the men that, you know, I always invited to come and worship. You see in the keyboard, that's another one of our students, our, my music student, uh, um, Saul. She'd been there with only two lessons, so I just teach her to, to play the fifth, you know, to do kind of pads as I was doing the guitar. And the little boy, it's uh, her nephew. His name is John. Believe it or not, they have those kinds of names in Venezuela. Yeah, so you, you call him John. It's, that's his name. Uh, they spell it differently. But anyways, he said, you know, I can do that. And he, I don't know if he was challenging me for that, but I said, okay, go ahead. I gave him the shaker. Man, he was on point. He was like on the beat. And while doing this, he was lifting up his knee a little bit and going with the shoulder. I mean, he got style, man. And every Sunday when he's there, he, he just up and just look up at me like, <laughs> he don't even speak a word, so he's just go and point out to the shaker. Last Sunday, I missed him, you know, and, and as I'm greeting people outside the door, you know, he, he come to me, you know, and I'm, hey, man, and, and he goes like, why didn't you call me up front? <laughs> so please remind me I need to do that this Sunday, today. The, the whole family came together, and they're playing after they've been flipping tortillas like 300. I don't know how many they did. They were eight tortillas in every packet for 99 men. You do the math. And they're, they're playing and, and worshiping. It's a joy to worship God, to serve that, and, and you can see their children, and your children were there as well. That's Pastor Ricky's daughter I recognize. That is a picture, my goodness. That woman is on top of, I don't know how many chicken pieces there. <laughs> you know, she was just about to dive in that, you know, to make the barbacoa mix or whatever, you know. And I, until I saw that picture, I realized, my goodness, look at that hair. There is not a mesh there. <laughs> I don't know. I hope the health department doesn't show up there, you know. <laughs> but uh, everybody said it was good, good chicken, tasteful and everything. I didn't see anybody going like, you know, uh, <laughs> this was... I don't know what took place there. I did try it, and, and it was just good. So we have tremendous opportunity. And listen, we don't have to wait for another year. First of all, we need to continue the prayer, just like they did there. You know, that's the Wayne City site, where they also had these people coming to share a profession of faith. We still have work to do. They're still under attack. So is you. The enemy does not sleep. I want to make sure that they continue to do the Bible studies. But communications are difficult sometimes. So what can I do? Same thing that Paul did. Pray. Pray for everybody with joy. And be consistent. Persevere in the prayer. And remember them every time. Because guess what? They're coming back. Lord's willing. He, he hasn't come back yet. So, I would like for us to pray. And I know there's going to be a time, uh, a 
last prayer for the commission of the team that is going to Mexico. And I would like to, to pray for them. Because even though they are going into the mission field, the mission field, as you can see in those pictures, is coming to us as well. I cannot tell you, and I shared some of this concern at Sunday school this morning, but we are overwhelmed. We, are, we, we, we have shortness everywhere, you know, with finances, with staff, with everything, because the thing is that we cannot keep up. They keep showing up. I got on my phone like seven different phone numbers. I don't have them in my contacts, but there's people that say, hey, Pastor Tony, so-and-so gave me your number. We just arrived last week, and we're in need of this. And, and it goes from the very basic thing. Last week, before going up to Chicago, I dealt with the family for two days. Both of the children, eight and five, had the strep throat. I mean, it hurt my heart just to see the little girl trying to swallow because they've been like that for six days. And they don't have jobs. They don't have money. They have nothing. And our church took them. I went with them to the consultation. They gave them antibiotics they needed. Give them steroids so they can open up their lungs and everything. And, and, and those are little things that you might take for granted, but they just don't have or don't know how to get it or where to go for it. And we're just talking about going to bed, knowing that your kid cannot breathe. I can't. You, you have to step in. You have to join forces. So that's why I'm, I'm saying it. it is with great joy that I pray and I'm thankful to God for partnership. And I pray to God that 10 Mile will join us in this effort as well. And like I said, it's, it's not a, money, a matter for asking for money. It's a matter of asking for the partnership, which is it goes deeper. It goes more important because of the fruit that will be in your credit. So as we come to this conclusion, I will ask you if you bow your heads with me. And go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are here. We heard your word. And we know that we've been blessed with your gospel. Father, I want to come here first in repentance. And even though I've not been in this church, this is my very first time here. You are the only one who knows their hearts, their positions. And where they're standing before you. And Father, before we do the commissioning, I want to just open up the opportunity for whoever is here today that you have spoken to their heart. That you have in their hearts the Holy Spirit of God stirring up crazy to do something with this. And Father, I pray that whatever that is, you present yourself through the guidance of your word and in prayer, you guide them individually, as a family, as a group, as a Sunday school class, whatever the case might be, please be merciful to us and show your power in our lives and through our lives. If anybody that's here, well, you're still bowing your head. I want to make this invitation clear. 
if you feel like you need to turn your way around and become partner of the gospel, not just with me. I'm talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about stepping up in obedience to God, period. I'm talking about quitting your laziness and comfortness to just think that this is a place to come and receive good teaching, good preaching, to sing some songs and then go home to do nothing more. God is calling you today to do more. God is calling you today because there is a lost world in front of you that is just going to hell if you don't intervene, if you don't step up, if you don't do the job that you were called to do, and that is to be witness, and that is to be ambassador, that is to be a representative of the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's who you are if you're a believer. So I don't want to take that for granted, and I don't want to assume that everyone is a believer here. If this word made sense to you right now, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Christ first and foremost. Maybe you've been coming to church for years, for months. Maybe you grew up in this church, but that you remember you have no recollection of when did I say yes to Christ and came to surrender my life to him. Is that your case today? You want to surrender your life to him? Right where you are, just stand up. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Just stand up where you are so I know to pray for you. So I recognize your decision. God can see your heart. You can say yes to him right now. But I cannot. I, I don't see hearts. <laughs> I can see your hand. I can see if you stand up. I can see if you are ready to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Yes, Lord, use me. Yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to experience, not just to do the Sunday thing, but to experience your goodness, your faithfulness. I want those promises that are in the Bible, over 7,000 to be done to me, to come to me, to my heart to be real in my life, in the life of my family. Is there anyone here who can do that? I'm not going to spend much time into this, but I want to open up the opportunity to make a public confession. Just where you are. As people is praying for you, and you are praying with them, I want to continue the invitation, extend the invitation as well. Is there anybody that probably doesn't know at this time. How am I fitting in this church? What can I do to serve the Lord? Where can I be useful for the kingdom? And you want to say to God, God, show me. You are going to have to show me. I really don't know. I know how I am wired. I know how you created me. I know my, my, my witness, but also I know where I'm strong. I know my capabilities, my talents and everything. I want to bring that to you, however you're going to use it. You want, you want to be that person to, today. Can you commit to Christ for the next step? That is the question. Commit to God and trust God for the next step in your life. Maybe you're in that season that said, well, my time has passed. <laughs> you saw there in the pictures that that's not true. That God can still use you in a mighty way, no matter your age. 
and you're not too young as well to do it. You want to do that, would you please stand with me? I'm standing with you because I'm renewing this right now with me. God, I'm ready for you to do what is next in my life. Well, you know already you're a pastor, you're a missionary, you, whatever it is. No, no, no. I need specific, God, from you. I know my calling. I have no doubts about that. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm standing right now. Would you stand with me if that's your case? Do you want to know what's next in your life from God? God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. I love it when I see people coming before God and saying, Lord, here I am. I really don't know what that means. I really don't know where I'm going or what am I supposed to do, but here I am. Are you that person today? Just stand up so we can pray together. In a moment, everybody will stand up because we're going to call the team and we're all going to pray for them. But it's this you that also wants to surrender your will to God, to the Lordship of Christ. God bless you. I've seen you standing now. Anybody else? So far, there is five of us who are willing to do that step. And you know, God can use even just one of us. But when it comes to five, God still do amazing things. This is the last chance. God bless you. I'm glad when we resist, when we shut off the whispers of the enemy. God bless you in the back. I've seen you too. The enemy is saying, you know, not really. Everybody's going to come to you. And all the lies, all the deceitfulness that will come from the enemy, don't listen to it. Just be brave. Be courageous. God is always calling us to be courageous. God bless you. One by one. Thank you, Father. God bless you, brother. I see you up in the balcony too. Anybody else? God bless you, brother. Right here up front. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, sister. God, you see the hearts. And I'm seeing people standing. Father, I know that before you, we are holding hands together, knowing that you have something mighty for us to do. You, as an extraordinary God, will use these ordinary human beings to do your majestic work. Father, use us in any capacity. I pray, O oh God, that you bring your glory so we can shine it through others that live in darkness, so we can be faithful to you. You are our sustainer. God bless your sister. You are the one who will deliver us from every trial, every tribulation. Father, I thank you. God bless you, sister. I see you. Now as a family united, you're going to serve the Lord. Praise God for that. 